0: So we're starting a new series this morning. It's going to be five weeks we're going to do it, and we're calling it Renewal. And the idea behind it is it's based on the five solas of the Reformation. And if, that, if that's meaningful to you, then you'll understand what I'm saying, but you don't need to know what the five solas are in order to understand what this series is all about. This series was born out of an idea that I had as I was reading for Galatians and I was reading, uh, one of the commentary commentators was talking about the five souls of the Reformation and how the Reformation brought about this renewal. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about Ephesians, the, a section that I've been memorizing, where Paul moves in Ephesians 4 to begin to tell the Ephesians to put off their old selves and to put on their new selves. But in between that, he tells them to be renewed in the spirit of their minds. So I've been thinking about what does that mean, to be renewed in the spirit of our mind? What does it mean to be renewed? And, and, and what is true is this. Truth always precedes any kind of renewal. You've got to have truth in order for there to be renewal. And we need renewal. We need continual renewing, don't we? We, I, my prayer is, for this series is that God would take the truth of his word and begin to freshly renew us as individuals, but as a community, as a body of believers, we need renewal. The community around us, the neighborhoods that we live in, need to experience revival, need to experience Renewal. The nation we live in, the the world at large, needs to experience the renewal that Christ came to bring. It's the only way we're ever going to experience renewal, is through the proclamation of truth. And so what I'm praying is that God would take this series, and I'm praying that you would pray this with me, that we would recover the the power of the gospel for the renewal of everything. The gospel renews everything, transforms everything. And so that's why we want to take a look at at these five truths. These are truths that shook the world at the time of the Reformation, and they are truths that continue to shake the world. And so we're going to look, we're going to begin today with the first one, renewal through Scripture alone. If we're going to experience renewal as people and as a, as a church, we're going to experience it through the Scriptures. God's Word is what brings renewal. And it's what precedes everything else. It's the grounding, the foundation of God's Word. What Luther was battling when, when he was when he wrote his 95 Thesis, was the authority of Scripture. Who has authority? Does the Pope have authority? Does the church have authority? Or does the Bible have authority? That was what he was fighting. I don't think that's as much what we fight today. I think the issue we fight today is the sufficiency of Scripture. Is the Bible sufficient? Or do we need other things in addition to the Bible? Is the Bible sufficient for us? Is the Bible truly our ultimate authority for faith and practice? And I want to say to you that right from the outset, is that what we believe, that Scripture is the ultimate authority for faith and practice. Is it sufficient? Or do we need other things? Is is the Bible sufficient or do we need to supplement it with with other things? teachings, with pop psychology, with, with psychological supplements. I've mentioned the Enneagram from the stage a couple times, and I'm into it. I'm, I, I'm looking at it, and I've learned some things from it, and it's been helpful to me. And my, all my Enneagram people are really smiling and laughing at me right now. But some people have come to me and said, are you like the, are you like the Enneagram church? And they've been questioning that. And I want to tell you, Scripture alone, I think the Enneagram is helpful. But if I have to choose Enneagram or Scripture, it's all about Scripture. It's the Scripture is the foundation. We can, I can forget the Enneagram. I don't need the Enneagram. I do need Scripture. Do we need Psychological teachings, sociological techniques: Do we need politics to really bring about renewal in our society? Somebody asked me recently if, since we had started the Downingtown English program, if we were a church filled with Democrats. I said, we're a church filled with people who are trying to love others the way God tells us to in the scriptures. This is not a, that's not a Republican thing or a Democratic thing. That's a Jesus thing. You hear me? We don't need anything else but what God has left us. In the scriptures. That doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. But this is the truth that we stand on. So open up your Bibles to Psalm 19. We're going to put the scripture on the screens too, I believe. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. This is a Psalm of David. And this Sermon is obviously going to be connected to all of the sermons that we recently preached on Psalm 119, which is all about the Word of God and the psalmist's love for the, the author of the Word of God. This is a psalm of David. Now, i like to instruct you guys about things like this because I think it's helpful. You've maybe heard the word expository preaching. That's the kind of preaching that we do here. So, so we will walk through We'll select the text and then we'll preach the text. We'll try to find out what the word, what is the truth that's being conveyed from this scripture, and then how does it apply to our lives? That's what we do. It's it's most easily done when you preach through a book of the Bible. So we've preached through the Gospel of Luke. We've preached through the Book of Deuteronomy. We've preached through the entire Gospel of Mark. We preached through the Letter to the Galatians. This morning. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do, this is what's called a text topical sermon. This is a topical series. It's not going to be devoid. Wouldn't it be odd to preach a sermon on Scripture alone and not use Scripture? Right? But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a section of Scripture and then I'm, going to, I'm going, to, we're going to explore the context briefly, and then I'm going to spring from that and look at some other scriptures to accomplish the goal that I have in helping us to see the authority of scripture in our lives. Does that make sense? Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. I thought it would be appropriate for us to stand and we'll just all read this scripture together because we believe this is the word of the Lord. Psalm 19, verse 7. Let's read it all out loud together. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Lord, would you write your eternal truth on our hearts by your Spirit's power? In Jesus' name, amen. story is told that Donald Barnhouse, who was a, a famous preacher in this area, was a pastor at 10th Presbyterian down in, in the, uh, Philadelphia where James Boyce was pastor. He pastored that church from 1929, I think, until 1960. So he had a long pastoral ministry there. And they were Presbyterians, so they do things a little bit differently than we do, but they had a prominent pulpit, they have a prominent pulpit in the church, and, and they wore robes when they preach, which we just haven't gotten around to that yet. I just can't imagine that. It reminds me of a joke I, prayed on, I played on Isaac, though. We had... We, we, we had an arrangement with another church. I'll just tell you real quick because I thought it was really funny. Um, we had an arrangement with a Presbyterian church that I was going to go preach there. Or they asked us if we could send somebody over to preach. And so I said, uh, I asked the guys if anybody could go do it. And Isaac was able to do it. And I, with a totally straight face, emailed him and in and, and all seriousness, told him to get there a little bit earlier because they need to fit him for his robe. <laughs> and he said, no, no, they won't. And I said, no, 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 yes, you will. You have to preach in a robe. Then I told him I was joking. So Barnhouse, back to Barnhouse. They they have this prominent pulpit, and then in the pulpit, and you can actually go to 10th pres, it's in the archives now, but for hundreds of years they had this large Bible that sat on the pulpit. And the preacher would come up and set his Bible and his notes on top of that Bible. And so he had just been hired as the pastor of this church, and he was in like the second week of preaching, and he just wanted to look, as he set his stuff down, he wanted to look at what verse is the Bible laying on, like what is it opened up to? And he realized that it was a, a curse on, uh, a, of, of judgment on the people for their sins. And he felt so uncomfortable. He was like, I don't know if that's where I want like, the Bible to be open." Now, they opened it kind of midway, probably, so that they could, so that they could lay everything on it as a platform. But he, in that moment, said, I, I don't want my Bible sitting there. I want my Bible to rest on the promises of God. And so he said it. He quickly thought, what, what passage can I... Can I rest this on? And he went to Isaiah 55, and he said his Bible on this passage that said, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return from, It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire, and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. He set his Bible down there, and when he did that, he, he's, he noticed that all of the pages were all worn out and, and dog-eared on that section of the Bible. And he realized that for a 100 years, other pastors had set their Bible on top of that passage. He went to Psalm 119, and he saw that it was all worn out from pastors that had for centuries set their Bibles down on Psalm 119. What's the emphasis? The Word. The Word of God. The Scripture. Sufficient. What is David doing here in Psalm 19? He's just given us these vivid descriptions of the Word of God. But what preceded it? What preceded this section? I didn't read it, so you'll have to look. Do you know what preceded it? I'll read the first verse. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above. The voice goes out through all the earth. In them he set a tent for the sun. Verse 4. This is a depiction of creation what he is doing is setting in contrast the revelation of creation to the revelation of Scripture. He provides us with an undoubtedly beautiful picture of the revelation of God in creation in verses 1 through 6. But then he contrasts the revelation of God's Word in Scripture. And he highlights one as better than the other. The law of the Lord is perfect. What is he doing here? He is seeking to emphasize the complete and utter sufficiency of God's Word. No one will ever be saved by watching a beautiful sunset. Could they have an encounter with God? Yes. What, what is it that saves? Church, what is it? It's the truth of the gospel of Jesus. All that He did. All that God did in Jesus to save sinners. That's why the biblical writers tell us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? The Word of God. Nature can't save you. Only the gospel, the word of truth, which is contained in Scripture, can save. So we see that Scripture is sufficient. And I want to share with you three ways in which Scripture is sufficient. It's sufficient for evangelism, mission. It's sufficient for sanctification. That's our growth in godliness. And it's sufficient for social reformation. And some of these points I'm taking from a very helpful book I I read, I didn't write, I read on this by James Montgomery Boyce, who was also the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church. So what I want to talk about is salvation renewal. So if you want to be renewed, if you want to move from death to life, it's going to include the proclamation of the scriptures. Salvation renewal evangelism. The scripture is sufficient for evangelism. You know, over the years, there have been all kinds of techniques that the church has come up with to try to get people to come to Jesus. They, they used to use the evangelism explosion model. You went door to door and knocked on people's doors and looked for opportunities to share the gospel. It just doesn't work that well right now. You come up to people's doors and they lock them people don't want strangers in their home it just doesn't work some churches may be still trying to do that that method of evangelism but it just doesn't it doesn't work so evangelistic methods change the evangelistic message doesn't it's really interesting that when You look at Jesus through the Gospels, how he approaches ministry. Jesus, and you see this right in the uh, book of Mark in the Gospels, as soon as he hits the scene, it says that Jesus came out of Galilee preaching the good news. Jesus is first identified as a preacher, of the good news. Now he's going to come to be known as a healer, a miracle worker. But he's first known as a preacher. He's first known as someone who just comes to to introduce the good news. And he told people, he said, "Listen, the kingdom of God is here." And then he told them to do something. Repent and believe the good news. It was a real simple message. It was what he preached. And then as he did this, he would go to the synagogues. And the scripture tells us in the end of Mark 1 that he showed up in the synagogue and he began to teach them. He's always teaching, teaching, teaching. What's he teaching? The scriptures. And and how do people respond? The people are amazed at him. Even when he was a boy, they were amazed. No one asks us questions like this. No one. No one understands the scripture like he does. And so they, they responded by gathering to the synagogue to hear him preaching. And they said, what is this? Some new kind of teaching and with authority. They were amazed at his teaching. But then the scripture, Mark tells us that Peter, one of the disciples, his mom gets sick. And she's, she's sick with a fever, dying. So Jesus shows up, prays for her, and she immediately is healed. She gets up and starts serving them, making dinner. And it's amazing to them. So amazing that people ran out of the house and started telling everybody. And it wasn't long before there was a long line of people outside of the house waiting to be healed. Hundreds, we can imagine, of people. He was there all night. Laying his hands on people, praying for them, and healing them. The next day, Jesus, while it was still dark, gets up, tired from ministry, and goes to pray to the Father. And the the disciples get up and go looking for him. Where is he? We're told that the disciples found him and said, what are you doing? Where are you? Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus' response is so interesting. Hundreds of people have shown up to be healed by Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, you know what, guys? I didn't wear my watch this morning. I lost track of time. I'll be there in just a minute. He tells them that he needs to move on. He tells them he's not going back to that group that he was with yesterday. Why? I've got to get to another city so I can preach the good news. You see the elevation there? He's elevating the preaching and teaching and the spread of God's word over the healing. Now, if you were Peter, I can just, can't you just imagine Peter? Jesus, I don't like telling you what to do. It makes me uncomfortable. But listen, when you stood up in the synagogue the other day and preached, it was amazing, but there was about 20, 25 people showed up. When you started healing people, this is where the action is, Jesus. We just got to make some signs, and we can have hundreds and hundreds. I can envision thousands and thousands of people coming to experience healing, and we'll get this thing going right. We'll, We'll have this ministry thing down. And Jesus says, No, I'm going somewhere else where they need to hear the good news. Why? What's going on? How about the story of of the rich man and Lazarus? Do you know the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Lazarus is just a poor beggar who begged outside the home of the rich man for years and years and years and years. Lazarus... Dies and goes to heaven. The rich man dies and goes to hell. And he makes a request. Jesus tells this story. He makes this request. Will you let me go back? Not for myself, but will you let me, will you let Lazarus come down and give me a drink? That's the first thing he says. And then he says, will you let me go back? to my friends and my relatives to share the truth with them. Jesus response: no. No, you can't let them listen to the law and the prophets. He says if they won't listen to the word of God, then they won't listen to a man that has risen from the dead to tell them. The point is this. Miracles, not even miracles save. Not even miracles will sustain. Do you you know it's possible to be on the receiving end of a miracle? And this was Jesus' concern. This is why he wanted to keep the crowd small. This is why he didn't make his ministry all about healing. Did he heal people? Yes, he did. Should we pray for healings today? Yes, we should. But Jesus didn't make his ministry all about healing. He made his ministry all about the proclamation of God's word. And he healed people so that they might hear the proclamation of the gospel, that they might be saved. Wouldn't it be awful to have a healed body and go to hell? This is is what Jesus is saying. Miracles won't sustain. A miracle alone won't save. Just because we do good deeds doesn't mean that that will save us or the people that we do them for. We've got to preach and proclaim the truth of God's word. It's the only way that anyone will be saved. Scripture alone brings salvation. This is why part of our mission statement is to reach people with the gospel and release them with the gospel. There's another part. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But you reach people with the gospel of God's truth. And then you build them up and you send them out like we sent the goans like we sent like like we we want to send the heart souls like we all should be sent out into our communities with the truth of the gospel i'm bogging down here let me keep going the sufficiency of god of the scripture i'm sorry for evangelism the sufficiency of scripture for sanctification and when i talk about sanctification i'm talking about our ongoing growth in godliness no one is saved into holy perfection, right? Raise your hand if you are. I want to talk to you afterwards. We have this ongoing, continued battle with the presence of sin. It's dominion defeated by Christ and his cross and the resurrection, but its presence remains. And we all battled with it at some point this last week, and we're battling with it right now, and we'll battle with it tomorrow. But in the scriptures, and Gabe preached this this passage at the the end of 2019 from Ephesians chapter 4. I just want to look at this. Ephesians chapter 4, you can just write it down and look, look at it later. But I want you to see what Paul talks about here. In chapter 4, verse 17, he says that we must no longer walk in the way we used to walk because we're changed. You're a new creation. That's what Jesse was talking about a couple weeks ago when he talked about the caterpillar to the butterfly. The, The butterfly, even if he wants to, can't go back to being a caterpillar. When the Spirit of God changes you, you're no longer your old self You're a new creation in Christ, but the possibility exists that you can think, act, and speak like you used to. Otherwise, what Paul calls us to do doesn't make any sense. But he tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, he calls on us to to grow up, that that's why he's equipped the church with all these different giftings that they then equip the saints for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Grow up. How do we grow? What part does the Word play? It's crucial that, we, that the Word play its, its significant role in our Growing up. Three questions for you. Can an adult become a child? It's not a trick question. No. Can an adult act like a child? (laughs) Some of the wise are like, oh my goodness. What do you say to an adult that acts like a child? Grow up. It's time to grow up. That's what Paul says to Christians who would act like children. And that's what he he talks about. After he tells them to to grow up, he says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking what's going to keep us from acting like kids. What's going to keep us from being blown around? Church, you are being blown around. You're being tossed to and fro by the waves, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We are being battered. The waves are rising and continually battering us. What's going to keep us from being tossed to and fro? Speaking something. What do we speak? The truth in love. Where's the truth? Right here. We all need to grow up. Continually, we need to grow up. What's going to help us to grow up? It's our noses in God's word, and it's praying that the Spirit of God would apply it to our hearts, that we might grow and mature, and that we might do that in love. This is why build is such an important part of our mission statement. We reach people with the gospel, we release them with the gospel, and in between we build them up in the gospel. And this is something that we've talked about. We need to do better at this. We're thinking a lot about this. The elders just gathered on a retreat, and we're talking a lot about how can we do the best we can do to ensure that you guys are built up in the gospel and that you're not kids being tossed to and fro by the waves. But I also want to say that we want to do that in a way that doesn't remove our responsibilities to reach and release. That was the error we made before. We emphasized reach and release maybe at the expense of building. But we don't, want to do, we, don't want to, we don't want the pendulum to swing too far and just make it. It's all about us. We're just going to insulate and we're going to get really strong and built up. We're not going to do anything. That would be to make an equal mistake, wouldn't it? We got we to gotta keep working all of the muscles at once, reaching, building, releasing. But the word of God plays such an important role in our growth and our change. And change, we know, is typically slower and more laborious than we like. It's hardly ever fast, isn't it? Is it fast in anything? Dieting doesn't go that fast. Physical training, you don't get extremely strong after a week at the gym. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Slow, laborious. Some of the areas I do think that God has changed me in some significant ways when I think back on my life and following Jesus, but there's some areas that I feel like, am I even changing? And if I am, the measurement is done in millimeters. It seems like it takes so long. Am I alone in this? Do you ever feel like it just takes so long to change? Or you take one step forward and take 10 steps back. I was just looking the other day at my study, and, and I have one shelf of my study that is filled with journals. And those journals, all they are is my interaction with God over his word. I haven't even looked at the old ones. I don't know what they say. I want to look at them. But you know what they represent? They represent my relationship with Jesus and my interaction with Him over His Word and the slow change that He has brought about in my life. I know I'm not the same man as the, the, the first journal that was written in 20 years ago. I know I'm not. You're not either. Because God is slowly changing you By the power of the Spirit, applying the word to your hearts. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? All right, I'm skipping the third point and I'm moving to my conclusion because I really want to hit this conclusion. The third point was this I'll give it to you and you can think through it. The sufficiency of Scripture for social reformation for change in society, for making a difference in our communities and in our nation. It's the Word of God. Now, I'm going to touch some things in the conclusion that will connect to this final point. But I want to point out a, an important danger that we are all facing right now, and we're facing it uniquely. What I'm talking about, what the Reformers talked about, Scripture alone was translated as sola scriptura, scripture solo, scripture alone. There is a danger. There's a number of dangers, but I think this is a big one for us right now. And it's the danger of sola cultura. Culture alone. It is naive, though, church, to think that we can approach the Bible as if it's a blank slate completely free from culture. We don't approach the Bible without some cultural suppositions. Postmodernism rightly showed us, I'm using big words now, rightly showed us that we are always the product of the culture that we live in. You are the product of the culture that you live in. You might not like that, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. There's a lot of good things about our culture. There's a lot of good things about the kids that are growing up in the culture of a Christian home. That's, That's a good thing. Here's the danger. The danger is when experience our experiences and culture are placed as a higher priority than scripture it's got to be like this but culture wants it to be like this we are breathing this in and you you don't recognize it because Culture changes slowly and subtly. It's kind of like the air you breathe. But it begins to define us. What happens is we try to seek a fixed point in culture and then view the Bible as moving and changeable and questionable and uncertain. What happens is culture begins to set the agenda for the Bible. And that's where you get into serious problems. Augustine says faith will start tottering if the authority of Scripture is undermined. So we have to keep Scripture... Here, in its proper place and and view culture through the prism of Scripture, not the Bible through the prism of culture. But a lot of us are reading our Bibles through the prism of culture, and God wants to make sure that we keep that straight. And in one of the biggest areas where this is happening... Pause for drink of water. It's sexuality. I sit and I take, you guys know I'm doing my master's degree at Westchester in communications. And I sit with a group of people that are becoming my friends, but who Definitely view everything through the lens of culture. Culture is the highest authority. Christianity is bigoted, the Bible is outdated, Christians are backwards. They're not moving and changing with the culture. I'm trying to navigate that the best that I can. You're trying to navigate it. I trust the best that you can. Probably need to have more discussion about these things. Maybe a preaching series on these things. My point today is, church, this Scripture is sufficient. We can navigate whatever cultural changes and whatever cultural ways we ride if we look through the lens of Scripture. And I also want to challenge us with this. We've got to look through the lens of the whole Scripture because there's some Christians that are doing wrong things. They're they're trying to, to deal with culture, trying to confront culture in a way where they're only reading part of their Bibles. We do this. I'm sure I'm guilty of it as well. There is a group on campus. We had a discussion the other night. There's a group that shows up on campus. I don't even know their name. I think it's called Matthew 24 or something like that. In the name of Jesus, they are standing on campus doing things that they think to be right, but confronting culture and hanging, holding signs that say homosexuals go to hell. They're doing it in the name of Jesus. The things that he was saying were so appalling that I literally felt the hair on my neck standing up. Now, I think if you were to ask him, he'd say, Sola Scriptura. I contemplated for a moment. Engaging him. They had a crowd. Everybody was shouting at him. That's what they want. They want a crowd. And I thought, I am going to take this guy down right in front of everybody. Do you think that you're, do- you're acting like Jesus? That's all I wanted to say. I, and then I wanted to say have you ever read your bible so my friends in class they think christian and they think that so i'm tentative about outing myself as a christian until I can explain what I mean by Christian. And what I mean comes from here. And I think I've heard some of them say, oh, there's Christians, and there's Christians like Kenny. They put me in a different category. And what I'm hoping is that the reason why they're saying that is because I'm trying to be like Jesus. And the, where, the, the place that I find how I can act in a culture that is hostile to Christianity is where I always found it. It's where we always will find it. It's right here in the pages of Scripture. We'll ask the band to return. If we abandon the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture, then it will only be a matter of time before we abandon our faith. As Augustine said, our faith will start tottering if the authority of Scripture is undermined. So church, if we want renewal in our culture, if we want to see lives changed and renewed around us, it's going to be because we stand on the authority and sufficiency of Scripture alone. I hope we don't have a big Bible up here like Barnhouse had. We don't lay it on top of the Scriptures. I love that story. But I hope that as long as Brandywine Grace exists, that whatever pastor gets up here on Sunday mornings, I pray he brings his Bible with him. I pray he opens up his Bible and and speaks from the truth of God's Word. Because as soon as we stop doing that, we exist to be a church, a real church. And we won't be light. We won't be a city on a hill. That's going to be challenged in the coming days. I think bright days are ahead of us for, as a church, but I think tough days are ahead of us culturally. And I think there's a lot of people that have, that have thought they were Christians because they got up and went to church on Sunday mornings. And what you believe and whether you really believe this is sufficient is going to get tested in the coming years. And I think the next generation of kids are going to have it really challenging. Really, really challenging. But I have hope. Why? It's because of this. It's because of this. Let's finish where we started. Let's stand. Go back to Psalm 19. And read it together. We'll put that back on the screens. Yeah. Let's read it together. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Scripture alone. Amen.